Engaging, sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. More than 200 people were killed during Easter services, the most recent in a wave of terror attacks on houses of worship around the world with roots in nationalist movements. Reports do indicate that Sri Lankan authorities have shut down social media and also imposed a nationwide curfew to stop the flow of misinformation and also ensure that civilians there remain safe. The United States stands ready to help in anything that we can do and look forward to helping bring these individuals that are responsible to justice. And again, uh, our, our hearts, our prayers, our thoughts are with the people. Now, filling in for Stacey Washington, here's Mickey Addison. Welcome to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk as all of us in this country and people around the world are just mourning and grieving with the Christians who were attacked as they endeavored to worship God and to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. I, I'm noticing something very interesting around this narrative, at least as it pertains to secular uh, news media. And you tell me if you've seen it. Um, these people have suddenly become uh, just Easter worshipers, Easter Worshippers, So there seems to be this decision that has been made. And you know how these people sort of, um, you know, they get together and um, uh, decide what the narrative is going to be. And they decide the terms, the verbiage that's going to be used. And then this is something that then gets passed around. And then if you're if you're not discerning, if you're not paying attention, um, you just tend to accept these things as Oh, well, we know what they mean. Well, people are counting on you to know what they mean and then by extension, give them a pass on actually having to say it, actually having to make much of what has happened. So you've got people like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in uh, tweets and uh, you've got news outlets who are talking about the the people who lost their lives. These these Easter worshipers. Easter worshipers, you you almost kind of want to go, man, if only there were um, a word to describe um, Easter worshipers, people worshiping on Easter, people celebrating um, a holy day where um, they remember that their Lord is risen. If only there were some term that we could use um to communicate that, oh, oh, that's right. It's called Christian. That's what it's called. It's called followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom they remember as risen, the one whom they celebrate as having sacrificed for them. And that his sacrifice is completely sufficient, that he has now ascended and is seated at the right hand of the father. We call those people Christians. So there was an attack on Christians, everybody. And please make no mistake about it, that when you hear these kinds of conversations, these these poor Easter worshipers, <laughs> it's an attempt to obscure what has really happened, that Christians were martyred, that Christians were attacked for their faith. And this is not something small. This is not something that we should just hear about and then go, you know, oh, my goodness, those poor Easter worshipers. 
No, we should be absolutely grieved and we should mourn with them as they mourn the loss of family, the loss of loved ones. And we should feel a sense of connectedness because this is happening in the body of Christ. So we identify with the sufferings of our brothers and sisters around the world. And we don't let people try to mute that in our lives. You know, they want to mute that in our lives by kind of trying to detach us from what's really going on. Because there's something, there's an effect that when you see the word Christian, there's an effect that it has on you as a believer in the United States of America. What happens is now you identify with these Sri Lankans. You say, whoa, wait a minute. Christians, those are my brothers. Those are my sisters. They're suffering within the body of Christ. This is, this is also about me. This has everything to do with me versus those Easter worshipers, you know, just those people who just happen to be out worshiping on Easter, you know, <laughs> maybe it's about Jesus. Maybe it's not. We, we just don't know those Easter worshipers. It's just a, it's just a holiday. You know what I mean? But we can detach it from its meaning. So we can detach Christians from these other Christians living around the world. That's what your news media wants to do. But for you Christians who know better, hopefully you're discerning and hopefully you are grieving and hopefully you are allowing yourself to share in the suffering of the persecuted church around the world. I want you to understand something, saints. I want you to understand something. Believers, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord cares about the suffering church. The Lord cares about the persecuted church. He doesn't look away. He is not ignoring those who are suffering in the world for his name's sake. And we should care about this. This should be something that we are drawn to. This should should be something that is on the top of our prayer list. When we consider what is happening around the world, the ministry of open doors reports that every month, 345 Christians are killed for their faith. 345 Christians killed for their faith. What are we going to do about that? Are we going to go to prayer? Is that going to be something that we ignore? Are we going to pretend like that is not happening in the world? Are we going to reduce those worshipers, those followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to just being Easter worshipers? Are we going to say, oh, that's so sad. These people living in these other countries that are enduring that. Are we going to say that is my brother? That is my sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot ignore them. Are we going to join in their suffering? Are we going to pray with them and pray for them? That is the posture of the church, because when we talk about what it is to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are talking about being the called out ones. And so you have the body of Christ around the world. We are a part of the church, capital C. And when we get headlines like this, they're not just something that we share. They're not just something that we retweet. They're not posts that we like. They're not just stories that we pass on. We grieve. And now listen, the Bible teaches us how to grieve. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have a different type of grief that we engage in. And it's not the absence of grief, but it is a grief that we recognize, man, this is only for a moment. This suffering is only for a moment, a short moment in time. And I would encourage you that when you have the opportunity, in fact, I I may just go ahead and turn to it right now in the moments that we have left in this segment, that the Lord Jesus in the letter that is written to the church at Smyrna, 
this is Revelations chapter two, Revelation chapter two, verse eight. It says unto the angel, of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last. He who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. I want you to understand, and and this is important as a point of reference, when you look at the seven churches in the book of the Revelation, there are five churches that receive either a commendation or they are rebuked, they are corrected for how they have fallen away, how they have neglected the former things. Of the seven churches, there are only two churches that are commended only, that that are uplifted. And that's the church at Smyrna. And the church at Philadelphia. And it's amazing because we are so detached from an understanding that suffering unites us to the church. It unites us to the body of Christ. It is something that we have in common. It doesn't matter where we live because in America, we have created a different type of gospel that really has no space. We have no room for suffering. So we look at the church around the world. We look at the persecution we look at the the churches that are bombed, that are raided. I'm, I'm looking at a news story here from China, recent news story, churches being raided. And we are so detached from that because we think there must be something that these people have done to bring this upon themselves. We see that this must be some type of judgment coming from God. So it's very difficult for us to identify with it. But if you read the scriptures woven all throughout the scriptures is really a narrative of suffering. It is a promise that you will suffer. And we don't want those promises, by the way. We have a hard time with those promises. We love the promises that say we'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country, you know, blessed in the field, blessed when we come, blessed when we go. We love those. But those promises that say we will be persecuted if we desi- if we decide to live godly lives or determined to live godly lives, that we're going to be persecuted. We don't want that. We reject that. In fact, we say there must be some reason that the judgment of God has fallen upon a group of people that they are persecuted the way that they're persecuted. No, persecution is the promise for every believer. The bid to come to Jesus is the invitation to come and die. We understand that we come to die so that we might truly live. And I got to tell you, it's a very sobering moment for us all around the world to have this sort of... um, front row seat, if you will, of the type of real time suffering that our brothers and sisters are facing in the world. The pain is immense. The suffering is overwhelming. But I want to encourage you in a couple ways here. Number one, do not be duped by this lying media that would try to detach you from your brothers and sisters around the world. In fact, I would encourage you to share in their suffering to pray, to intercede, to stand in the gap for them, to try to identify with their grief. 
And then I would also encourage you as the apostle Peter encouraged believers in his first letter. And this is first Peter chapter four, verse 12. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I got to tell you, and this may be coming into focus for a lot of Christians. Listen to me, Christians who happen to live in the United States. That is an important distinction to make. What's really coming into focus for us is what many Christians around the world have long endured. And that is suffering as a given because they claim the name of Jesus Christ. So we ready ourselves. We fix our heart and we, we fix our hope on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just um, just a proud proclamation, but it is a conviction that determines how we live, how we engage, how we read news headlines. We purpose that we're going to identify with the suffering church. We're not going to look down our nose on our brothers and sisters suffering around the world. And increasingly, we are realizing that this is our portion as well. Don't you see it? Don't you understand that it is rougher now to live as a Christian in the United States than it was for your parents and your parents' parents? Don't you see that? It may have been difficult at one time for us to identify with suffering. For us to identify with being persecuted just because of what you believe. But that's coming more into focus these days. So let us not numb the pain of loss that we see and that we experience. Let us not pretend that it doesn't exist. But let us press in. We've got nearly 300 souls that have gone into eternity. More than 500 individuals injured. The grief is immense. The mourning is overwhelming. And we would be tempted to do our part to maybe share a story, retweet an idea, and then move on. Let us make a little bit bigger deal of it if we can. Let us lean into this pain and this grief and let us share it with our brothers and sisters. Let us go to the Lord in prayer, asking the God of peace to give them peace and to deliver us all. He's made promises, and we expect him to keep them. Amen. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. been hearing the messages from Preborn asking listeners to join together to help save babies' lives through ultrasound, and you're not sure how to respond. Here's the story of one woman who took that step. I heard about Mission Preborn just before December of last year and asked my husband if we could give at least 140. Just last week, we received our packet. My husband came in the house and he was telling me, this is our preborn packet, the ultrasounds. I started crying without even seeing them. Not only were there five babies, but one of the moms was having twins. 
we were just elated for that. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and you'll receive a story and a picture of babies' lives that were spared. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your sponsorship goes to saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby, or go to preborn.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. When I was growing up, one of the big no-nos around our house was to complain about what mom cooked for dinner. You see, my parents grew up during the Great Depression, and whenever there was a hint of complaint, they reminded us there were times they didn't have meat to eat, and they were grateful for a pot of beans. A piece of fruit was a luxury. Well, generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, the more we have or the more we've been exposed to, the less grateful we are. We begin to view life with a sense of demand, an entitlement perspective. Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6 is a sobering correction to that kind of attitude. Listen to these words. The sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. God had miraculously provided manna for them in the wilderness. They conveniently forgot they had been slaves. They seemed to say, I want to go back to that Egyptian all-you-can-eat buffet line again. Well, some time ago, I heard a wonderful message from Pastor Bob Russell on the grace of gratitude. He said to cultivate an attitude of gratitude, we must first acknowledge that everything we have comes from God. Two, visit with and minister to people who have less. And then third, avoid grumbling and complaining like the plague. Don't even go there. Then number four, express thanks frequently for what God has done for you. Here's what I want you to remember today. God has been good to us. Whatever he provides, food or otherwise, should be embraced with thanksgiving. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Really appreciate you tuning in. Um, it's my pleasure to kind of stand in for Stacy and um, to help out whenever possible. Uh, let's talk about some of the news headlines that are out today, um, what's happening in our country and around the world. We already sort of touched on Sri Lanka, but there's some important information that I think is worth um, us bringing up and uh, making sure that our listeners are privy to. And to help me do that is Chris Woodward, who is One News Now uh, reporter and joins us. Uh, he's in studio to talk about um, what's going on, not only in Sri Lanka, some important information, but also other news stories uh, important to us here in the United States of America. Chris, thank you for joining me. I yeah, appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. So let's just jump right into it. What do we know um, on the heels of this attack where you've got uh, 290 uh, individuals who are murdered? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what else do we know? Well, front and center on onenewsnow.com today is this story. The headline is, Report, Sri Lanka Failed to Heed Warnings of Islamic Terrorist Attacks. And when you click on that headline, you'll go inside the article. It's, it's an Associated Press story at this point, but... Uh, Sri Lankan officials failed to heed warnings from intel agencies about the threat of an attack by a domestic Islamic terrorist group that officials blame for Easter bombings that killed 290 people 
The Islamic terrorist group is named the National Thofiq Jamaath, and this all, of course, is uh, quoting a health minister there in Sri Lanka. All of the bombers were Sri Lankan citizens, but authorities suspect foreign links. So we will definitely see uh, a lot more on this going forward. I know Chad Gurning's working on this as being our national security foreign policy guy, and we'll certainly be contributing uh, information as we get it from Fox News Radio as part of our newscast this afternoon. I mean, Chris, this is just unbelievable. I was reading also, and, and I don't know if you had seen this, if this came across your desk, but in the last few weeks that they they reported that there was strange activity happening for the last few Sundays at these Christian churches, mm-hmm. that they, there was actually reports that there was something going on that, you know, maybe officials should have paid attention to in addition to this intel that now appears to have been ignored. I mean, what are we to make of that? Well, I, to be honest with you, it's not the first time that we've seen attacks happen where authorities, we find out, you know, the next day or maybe weeks later that authorities were maybe onto it and chose not to do anything or they were waiting to see if they could catch the big fish, uh, things like that. And really, I think the, the lesson learned here is, okay, we have to start acting. If we're out there and we're telling our citizens, if you see something, say something, we have mm-hmm. to act on those things because... Far too often here in the U.S., we've seen stories where the FBI was onto these bombers or these shooters or whatever else, and they chose, they just kind of sat around, or maybe they closed the investigation without actually finding out what the real incident was. And, you know, how many times do we have to keep hearing about our governments, uh, foreign or domestic, failing us before we say, hey, enough is enough. We're paying you people to do these kinds of investigative works. You've got to start acting on these things. Lives are at stake. And here we are. You know, how many people in Sri Lanka are scared to go to church now? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. Or how many it people are not going to take up somebody somebody's invitation to church because they're afraid they might not make it home? That's right. That's right. You know, I wonder about um, sort of the and and I don't know if these would be considered conflicting news reports or maybe attempts by on the part of some of the reporters that are in the mainstream media to really kind of um, conceal the truth and to maybe lie to the American public, certainly. But I mean, I would imagine that audiences around the world who are trying to glean information, there always tends to be this, um, you know, slow move toward identifying Mm -hmm. Islamic terror. Terrorism, that seems to always be the uh, the the cover up that's not even subtle anymore. I, I find that it's very overt. But I want to ask you about I, I saw some reports that there was some type of Buddhist nationalist group that there were original thoughts that maybe this group was behind this. Um, do you see that sort of as a part of all of this this orchestration to just really kind of keep from people um, or maybe just not having to use Islamic terrorism when you're talking about? About terrorist attacks. Yeah, I do think uh, news outlets and government officials, uh, presidential candidates, past and present, uh, they often go way out of their way to kind of avoid using certain language that anyone might deem as being offensive. And look, if, if these terrorists worship Muhammad, they're not Hare Krishnas. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're an Islamic terrorist group, and we need to call things what they are. Uh, you know, the, the weird thing is um, now, as you, and you pointed this out in the first segment, now we have people referring to the victims as Eastern Easter worshipers. They don't yes. even want to say Christians because <laughs> then they're afraid, well, somebody's going to say, well, you're taking up for Christians and they're, we've got all these horrible things happening to us and you're ignoring us. People need to, it's, we avoid, we're fearful of using words. 
mm-hmm. far too often mm-hmm. in, our, in our society. We've got to stop walking on eggshells. And again, we've got to start acting on things when our governments hear that things are maybe, you know, in play and, and we need to work to better protect people. Yes, absolutely. We need to be aware and Americans cannot continue to bury their head in the sand, which, as we know now, that sand can be defined as mainstream media. I mean, we think we're getting information, but Mm -hmm. really it's it's just what you find is that people have made uh, gone to great lengths just to obscure the truth. Um, One other thing about Sri Lanka, I think it's so important for the body of Christ to be connected to the body around the world and to not just see ourselves as us and them, but to realize that we are a part of the church. You know, mm-hmm. when we look at these Christians who are suffering, I feel like in a way, Chris, that is the unique perspective that we as Christians get to bring when we're talking about the current events of the day. I mean, we're not talking about our suffering brothers and sisters around right. the world as them. We're talking about our suffering brothers and sisters around the world as we. And I was wondering right. if you could kind of give some of your thoughts on that. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, they might not uh, sing the same hymns as you. They might do worship services a little differently than Hmm. you. Uh, But, you know, Scripture tells us that we're all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And going by that Scripture, as I interpret it at least, uh, these people, these victims, the so-called Easter worshipers, are (laughs) Christians, and, you know, they are our brothers and sisters in the faith. Yeah, yeah. Just one other note, and then I want to ask you what else is on deck as far as what we're watching and paying attention to in the news. It's important to note uh, the ministry Open Doors reports that every month 345 Christians are killed for their faith. Mm Mm-hmm. 345 Christians killed for their faith, and that is something that we simply cannot ignore. We're looking at persecution around the world, and as it kind of thickens in the United States of America, it's going to become uh, easier and easier for us to be able to identify with yeah. that. So, and, and you know what's what's really sad uh, about that is a lot of those people, they, they wake up and they go to worship our Lord and mm-hmm. Savior, Jesus Christ, knowing, hey, you know, I might not make it back home. And how many people are not going to be at church this Sunday versus Easter because something Mm. else popped up and they were, quote, unquote, too busy? Right. It's right. It's awful how we ignore and take for granted the freedoms we have. And these people are just learning or yearning to, like, hear the word and and to, uh, to read the Bible in their heart language, things like that. That's right. That's right. Without persecution or fear of loss of life, it really puts things into perspective when you put it that way, Chris. What else are you guys covering over there at One News Now? Well, there is a big developing story today out of Washington, D.C. The U.S. Supreme Court says it's going to weigh in on whether the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and courts can redefine the word sex without Congress. And all of this stems from a funeral home operator in Michigan. His name's Tom Rost. And several years ago, he was approached by one of his employees, in this case, a funeral home director. Uh, and that funeral home employee said, hey, I'm going to come back in such and such uh, a date and I'm going to be dressed as a woman. And Mr. Tom Ross, the owner, says, sorry, you can't do that. Um, he apparently got with his attorneys and they uh, offered the employee a severance package and followed the law as stated by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And since that day, uh, this has been through the courts and a federal appeals court ended up agreeing with the EEOC that Mr. Rost must allow the male employee to dress as a female because, Mm. in the EEOC's opinion, gender identity can be the same thing as sex, as defined in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, specifically Title VII. What does all this mean? A Supreme Court ruling against Mr. Rost would theoretically force businesses and schools 
um, to open up spaces to uh, people of opposite sexes, uh, which is certainly something that we've been concerned about here at AFA and AFR mm-hmm. and Urban. Uh, it would allow uh, men to um, compete in female track and field events, no questions asked, things like that. And it could also force uh, medical professionals to um, perform surgeries and do treatments that violate their sincerely held religious beliefs. So it's not just a case about a funeral home operator that doesn't want to let somebody dress as a woman. This has big ramifications uh, going forward for all of us listening, regardless of what we do for a living. Man, this sounds like um, the Supreme Court could be in a position to be um, taking a huge leap above and beyond our Congress as we uh, talk about and keep our eye out for this Equality Act that Nancy Pelosi has made a big focus of this Congress. Um, You know, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, the Equality Act would basically do everything a Supreme Court ruling against Mr. Ross would do. Uh, The difference being Congress would approve it, which is the way the government is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. But uh, mentioning some of the uh, freedom of conscience violations and things like that, uh, schools having to allow boys to use girls' bathrooms and vice versa, all the stuff that we've been concerned about based on hard evidence that bad things do happen when governments allow this kind of thing to take place, uh, you would see basically Pandora's box of all, everything open, opening up and all of the uh, problems that we've been warning you about for years uh, actually becoming reality. I mean, this is just astounding to me, you know, when you step back and you think about the Equality Act, but then also you think about the Supreme Court hearing this case and, um, you know, you consider all of the information that is contained therein. Mm -hmm. And what we are talking about is really women and girls in our culture and our society being effectively erased. Because if you can just decide um, who you are or or what you are, if you want to say it that way, then you don't have actual categories where you can have a person protected Mm -hmm. against discrimination for their sex, their biological sex. I mean, this is um, a start and and we've we've been kind of working our way down this road for a while. But effectively, where we end up is that everything gets erased, that there there really aren't any, um, you know, delineated categories that you can think of when you talk about male or female, because it then just becomes whatever the construct of your mind is. Yeah. And and another thing to take into account with the Equality Act, too, uh, most of the people in support of that particular piece of legislation are Democrats. But there are a couple of Republican members of Congress, the House uh, specifically, that are behind it as well. So you'll hear Nancy Pelosi and others refer to this as bipartisan, and it's like barely bipartisan. I mean, Mm. it's by definition bipartisan, but it's something to take into account that... um, You know, it's got a little bit of Republican support, but also keep in mind, too, it's not just Democrats that are pushing this kind of thing. So people need to take into account that you get what you uh, vote for. That's right. That's right. And and you add to that, and I, I want to say this and then ask one other question about this case, and then we'll move on to what, okay. what else is on the on deck here. But, you know, when you add to that, Chris, the fact that we are being desensitized daily, I mean, you know, it's, it's not only that you have people working in the halls of Congress, it's not only that, you know, now we would have this uh, being argued at the Supreme Court level, but you also have Christians being desensitized to where we kind of are starting to question whether or not the Bible really does give us a defense for God creating us male and female in his image, male and female, him making us. And I, I think that um, it's really a dangerous setup for the, the future of this country because you have people who are also sort of losing that moral conviction that we once had. Yeah. And, you know, 
the courts are going to weigh in, and we're probably, even if they were to pass the Equality Act, uh, the courts are going to weigh in, and you're going to see this stuff play out. Um, and really, all of this could have been uh, settled a long time ago if people would just uh, calm down and work through things the way government was intended to and not allow a Supreme Court or an appeals court or some uh, unelected bureaucrat on an agency every other person listening to the sound of my voice is aware of, uh, Mm -hmm. decide all these things going forward. So you need to pay attention and be active and engaged uh, in addition to listening to this radio program. That's for sure. That's right. That's right. And so just one last question. This case is going to be argued in the fall. Yes. And uh, and when when would we likely have a decision on it? Uh, most likely, I would say if they're going to hear argument in the fall, it would be spring before we got a decision. And knowing how the Supreme Court works, I would not be shocked if it was one of the last rulings uh, <laughs> in June of 2020. So we're in the midst of a presidential election. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I don't think it's it's time that way. Uh, I mean, our mm-hmm. our Supreme Court, uh, through no fault of its own, um, they they're slow as as uh, molasses, if that's the correct saying, uh, coming out with some of the rulings that you want them to, you know, rule uh, immediately on. So yeah, definitely, I would say probably a Friday or a Monday in June of 2020, which is around about the same time that uh, both Democrats and Republicans are putting the final stages together for their uh, party presidential nominations. So this will undoubtedly be um, a question for debates. And, you know, there's um, a lot of town halls right now between the 110 billion Democrats seeking that party's presidential nomination. <laughs> so, you know, don't expect... Uh, I mean, I would be shocked if somebody didn't ask Mayor Pete about this or uh, Amy Klobuchar or Kamala Harris, people like that, uh, all of them being uh, lawyers or business owners or whatnot. Um, so, yeah, we'll it, it'll be an election issue, that's for sure. You know, it seems to me, and, and, and just your thoughts on this, but it seems that our co- our country has moved so far um, away from morality and mm-hmm. away from um, the standards of the Lord that, you know, it's almost inevitable that this is where we would find ourselves because you fast forward, um, you know, back, or you look back and back to 2015 and then fast forward to now, it seems that 2020 is shaping up to, to potentially be the Obergefell of, mm-hmm. of 2020. I mean, and it could have... Um, just, you know, unimaginable consequences on our country. Yeah, it, it definitely will. I mean, this is not your daddy's Democratic Party versus your daddy's uh, Republican Party. Things are different with both parties today. Um, and Democrats arguably, without a doubt, really, have moved uh, further to the left than they were in 2008 when Barack Obama got the presidential nomination. So whoever gets the nomination next year, it's definitely going to be socialism or far left politics versus Trump's Make America Great Again or Keep America Great, as he's calling it now. Hmm. Well, we got to keep our eye on it. Got to keep watching. All right. Stacy on the right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. More with Chris Woodward of One News Now. We'll be right back. Stay close. it take to be a sports success and a team player? Here's Pro Football Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Hall of Famer David Deacon Jones was one of the best pass rushers ever to play the game. In the 1960s, tackling the quarterback behind the line of scrimmage didn't have a name, so Jones coined the term sack, and boy did he get a lot of sacks. 
He would have recorded 170, but the league did not keep track of sacks until 1983. His signature move was smacking the helmet of the offensive lineman. His long arms and quick hands allowed him to smack opponents' helmets, causing them to blink. That single blink gave him the opening he needed to get into the backfield. Jones was an uncommon player who used every single moment, even a blink, to his advantage. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of Quiet Strength and the Uncommon Book Series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Have you ever found yourself so embarrassed in a situation that you couldn't even look a person in the eye? One day, I was in the drive-thru of a famous fast food restaurant, and I was giving my order to whom I thought was a man, but turned out to be a woman. Oh my goodness. I found that out because I said yes, sir, and she quickly corrected me. I was so embarrassed, I couldn't even finish the order, so I drove off. That was a true story of fear and embarrassment. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. My brothers and sisters, do not operate as I did and drive away due to fear creeping in. Know that the spirit of the living God lives in you and with him, he can bring about that courage that you didn't even realize was already in you. With the heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Victoria Hollyfield. Connect with us more at urbanfamilytalk.com. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Freshman Democrat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is now sharing her perspective of what's ahead if Congress approves the Green New Deal. It's a documentary film narrated by the Congresswoman herself. An emissions-free time machine isn't a provision in the Green New Deal, but the video reveals a window decades into the future. In the film, Ocasio-Cortez speaks from the future, often in the past tense, as though Congress long ago implemented her priorities. She starts talking about her commute from New York to Washington, now on a bullet train like in Japan. She says it all changed when Democrats captured the Senate and White House in 2020. Ocasio-Cortez is silent on the Green New Deal's most controversial proposals, like curbing jet travel and trouble with cow emissions. And she argues that through social programs like Medicare for All, the United States morphs into a postmodern utopia, solving other problems like unrest. Ohio Democrat Tim Ryan is running for president. He represents the Rust Belt just south of Cleveland. Ryan says the government can't do it all, and change must be based on the free market. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thanks so much for listening to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm Miki, and for Stacy, it's great to be with you. Also, great to have Chris Woodward with us. Uh, we're talking news headlines, which you can always pop over to onenewsnow.com, onenewsnow.com, and get a check of the latest news headlines, the stories that are covered there that will not be covered anywhere else. That's onenewsnow.com. Chris, what else is on deck today? Well, uh, this is from uh, the inbox uh, at American Family News. You know, there has been a long, uh, long, long, long battle over the use of the phrase, in God we trust. It's mm. it's on our money, it's on buildings, it's on uh, you name it. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, here in Mississippi, where I live, and AFA is based, uh, there has, we've had license plates in uh, recent months issued where uh, you could get a, a license plate, and it has the seal on it saying, In God We Trust. And as you might expect, some unbelievers, non-believers, atheists, whatever you want to call them, uh, have uh, kind of threatened lawsuits over this saying, Hey, this is not right. It's an establishment of religion. 
uh, thou shalt not do this, that kind of thing. Uh, and First Liberty Institute, one of the many uh, religious liberty law firms that we know and work with, uh, has sent a letter to uh, Mississippi officials saying there's nothing wrong with this. Keep it up. It's used in a lot of places. It's on our money, as I said, uh, things like that. And so we've already seen at least one religious law, liberty law firm kind of give their blessing or okay saying, you know, listen, there's nothing wrong with this. If you do get sued, we're here to help you. You just let us know. But I bring this up because we see not only an attack on uh, Christians and the Bible, we see just an attack on anything that uses the word God. Mm-hmm. And this is yet another example, certainly, if people people probably remember 10, 12 uh, years ago, there was a federal judge that ruled the National Day of Prayer unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. That was later overturned. Uh, but there have since been a number of um, things. There was a, a big case in recent months out of Chicago, a federal level, where somebody tried to take away uh, the housing allowances that churches and stuff tend to offer pastors to help uh, make ends meet because pastors don't get paid that much, uh, most of them. And so that one went to court, and we'll, you know, we'll continue to see attacks on anything involving God or just the use of the word God, and that's why I wanted to bring this up uh, today. Mm-hmm. But you'll see that story uh, on onenewsnow.com. I'll be working on that today. Another thing, too, there's a, been an issue planned out for several weeks in Michigan where the new governor and attorney general, both of which are liberal, Uh, have said they were going to uh, change the way faith-based adoption agencies and things like that are allowed to operate. Um, There was a a lawsuit and a settlement, and the attorney general there, the new attorney general, uh, agreed to this settlement that said faith-based adoption agencies weren't going to be able to get state funding unless they agreed to place children in same-sex homes, things like that. And unfortunately, I hate to break this news, but it's part of my job, Unfortunately, uh, we've already seen at least one faith-based adoption agency agree to this uh, oh. new um, situation saying, hey, we don't like it any better than you, uh, but we have to do this in order to continue to operate. This is from an Associated Press story on onenewsnow.com. Uh, the adoption agency in question is Bethany Christian Services. Mm. Been around a long time. They operate in a lot of states, I believe. And again, they say while it is disappointed and how the settlement has been implemented, it will nonetheless reverse its policy so it continues foster care and adoption work for the state. Uh, as of February, Bethany Christian Services was responsible for 1,159 or more than 8% of cases of children under state supervision. Uh, the new attorney general there, her recent settlement prevents faith-based adoption agencies from refusing to put children in LGBTQ homes for religious reasons. St. Vincent Catholic Charities sued last week to challenge that deal. So, um, you know, this would be the first of many stories, and uh, we will certainly be following it, it, following it uh, this afternoon and henceforth at onenewsnow.com and our radio network at American Family News. So this agency, Bethany, is saying that they will they will relent, that they will allow um, LGBTQ individuals to adopt children and or to foster children. Is that what I'm understanding from the story? Yes. Chris? Now, I, I want to pause for a second here and I, I want us to really think about this and I want us to think of what it is to have a robust apologetic for our cultural engagement here. And what this is, is that this this is a failure to hold the line. And I know it can seem really harsh here, but I want to I want to lean in on this for just a second, because what we are talking about is the faith of the believer being able to stand against 
adversity, being able to stand in a perverse and a wicked generation. And this is where we are. This is where your Christian faith gets pressed in on, gets pushed up against. And the question is, what do you do in the midst of that? Now, I want to do two things. One, I want at this point to remind our listeners that this is one of the reasons that we're doing the Marriage, Family and Life Conference, uh, June 20th through the 22nd. This is one of the reasons, because when people think about apologetics, people often think of being able to defend the age of the earth or being able to defend when is the beginning of life and Mm -hmm. all of these things. But being able to defend the faith, Chris, being able to give a reason for the hope that lies in you as as first Peter 315 instructs us, this encompasses everything that we encounter in life. So the question is, why would you have an adoption agency or, um, you know, a a foster care agency? Why would you have this agency stand against uh, the pressure to allow for two men or two women to adopt children and call this a family. Why would you stand against that? Well, there is a defense for that because family is God's design. We have a biblical defense here that I think a lot of people miss, or maybe they just don't have the wherewithal to fight, but this is a loss for the children involved in this. I mean, would you agree with me on this, Chris? Yeah, it it really is because now they're going to be told by uh, dad and dad that there's nothing wrong with having two dads or mom and mom. And I'm doing air quotes here. (sighs) Uh, right. and, and, you know, that person is going to grow up and they're going to uh, encounter someone. Let's say they go to the park and some kid, some kid is bold for Christ and, and invites him to church or hands him a, uh, a pamphlet. And somehow they get into the discussion on lifestyles. And you think, well, hey, it's two kids at the playground. That'll never happen. You'd be shocked with what you kids would. are discussing at Christian schools That's at right. the lunch table. I mean, my That's kids right. know more about things than I've uh, than I've like. I, I, it's just astounding to me. Um, so yes. the, and I'm not saying they're discussing horrible things at school. I'm just right, saying they right. know things that I've not told them myself. Um, right. I got you. So kids do, you know, bring this up. But, you know, let's say, uh, you know, Tom and, and Harry's son, so to speak, is encountered by a Christian who's trying to witness him with, uh, you know, um, creative design and, and all the biblical stuff that we hold near and dear. Uh, mm-hmm. That child who's been told there's nothing wrong with how my house is living is going to argue with that person, and it's just it 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 creates a holy uh, it creates a, a just a difficult situation that really the Holy Spirit uh, could only solve. That's um, right. That's and, right. And you know, and it, here's the thing too: we've got to, as individuals, get into our Bibles so we can know we as individuals right. can know what God believes what he has purposed for us and and not just go with thus saith the pastor you should know that's what the right. word says itself your pastor expects you to know that's these so things. good chris yeah that's so good that's so important i think that's what's missing in the body of christ today that we have sort of um just relegated the truth to the pulpit and we say well this is where the truth comes and so you know we are not um we're, we're not pressed to search out the scriptures for ourselves the word of god must be our final authority um the word of god must drive all of our cultural engagement you know i want to say one other thing here i think it's really interesting and maybe even appropriate to mention at this point um former first lady michelle obama was in 
in the news recently, mm-hmm. and she was referring to our country and um, our current president. She kind of said this sideways. She didn't mention him, but she said it's sort of like living with divorced dad. This was the reference that she made. She said it's sort of like living with divorced dad. And she said, you know, it's fine. You're living with dad and, and it's fun and it all seems like it's good. And she says, but then you get a cold. And the implication there was like, but where is mom? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. where is. And so she was saying that almost as taking a swipe at our current president. But the thing that's interesting to me about that is that inadvertently she acknowledged that the best possible outcome for a kid is to have a mom and dad. Right. And you know, you, <laughs> you got to think like you got to think of the, the tremendous opportunity that Barack and Michelle just completely missed yeah. in being able to promote a, a mother and a father uh, united in marriage relationship, right. not only to black Americans, but mm-hmm. just to Americans in the 21st century. They totally right. had that opportunity and they just ignored it and they, they yeah. blew it. And, and by the way, let me point out, too, that President Obama... He didn't even have a father. His dad was completely non-existent in his life. So he knows what that feels like. And there like. are a lot of divorced dads out there that do go out of the way, go out mm-hmm. of their way to make things work as best as they possibly can in that That's horrible right. situation where divorced dads do love their kids. That's Brock right. didn't even have a dad. And yeah. here she is railing on President Trump by using a horrible analogy. Uh, just it's That baffling. actually... That actually admits that the best outcome is for a a child to have a mother and a father. Look, I didn't grow up with my dad. And I, I will tell you, my firsthand experience with that is that you do need your father. But here is the thing. We are now living in a culture. We're living in a climate where we're not acknowledging that anymore. And, and now what we're saying, not only among, you know, believers where they may sort of say, well, you know, this is not the best situation, but it's a good one. Yeah. No, it's not what God has intended. But here's the thing. Now we have the culture saying, and because you guys have sort of um, released your grip on what a marriage is, right, how God defines marriage, Mm -hmm. they now step into that vacuum and they're saying, so then if you guys don't care about defending marriage, biblical marriage, then we can step in with our definition of it and go a step further. We'll step in with our definition of family. And now we feel like we have a right to adopt or to foster kids um, under this sort of this this false presentation of a family. And I think that's tragic. Well, and you know, and unfortunately, the people that have decided all these things are uh, courts, so the judicial branch, which it's not their role to decide whether or not two men can marry. Right. Uh, That is not for the judicial branch. So, I mean, we're talking about so much stuff here. We need to be up to speed on what the Bible (laughs) says. We need to be educated on what... Uh, the Constitution says that's you know, right. Who gets to make laws in this country? Yeah, don't don't just uh, rely on us to tell you. I mean, get in the word, uh, you know, open up some books and find out what the <laughs> founding fathers had intended for you. In that's addition right. to the almighty father, who certainly knows best and we need to follow uh, his instruction as best as we can. We probably can squeeze in maybe one or two more stories. Chris, what what else is coming up the pike? Well, you know, we were talking about uh, presidential uh, candidates, and I had uh, jokingly mentioned there was 11 billion Democrats uh, <laughs> running for uh, de- uh, their, their party's presidential nomination, uh, and that number is certainly growing. Uh, but as far as uh, people with an R next to his or her name, that, that number is now growing. Uh, in recent oh. days, we've seen uh, former Massachusetts Governor William Weld saying he's going to seek the Republican nomination for president 
uh, because President Trump's not doing a, a good enough job. He's a terrible leader, things like that. Uh, and so now William Weld is going to seek the GOP nomination. He's going to try to primary the president, so to speak. Um, wow. And we we have seen this in uh, decades past where somebody tries to challenge a, a sitting president that's running for re-election. I believe it was in the 70s when uh, then-Senator Ted Kennedy uh, was uh, looking to challenge Jimmy Carter. Maybe he did officially. We've seen it in other mm-hmm. years uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know necessarily if Mr. Weld has a um, has a chance here. We've got a story on our website. Chad Groening did it. Uh, he interviewed Brian Kamaker of Mass Resistance, given the Massachusetts connection there with William Weld, and Kamaker doesn't think uh, Weld has a chance here. And, you know, um, it's good to point out, too, while I'm certainly not campaigning for the president, most presidents, Republican or Democrat, uh, that do seek election, at least from 1900 on, did go on to win uh, re-election. There's been a few cases where they did not, George H.W. Bush being the most recent example. Uh, but more often than not, at least in the last 130 years or so, most of the presidents running for re-election uh, have gone on to win it. Uh, Barack Obama got re-elected. President Clinton was re-elected. W. Bush was re-elected. Uh, and well, history, you know, we'll see uh, next year come November whether or not that holds the case for Mr. Trump. I mean, and the interesting thing about that is that, you know, some of the reelections that you mentioned were reelections when they weren't doing all that great. It's just that they were there and they had the momentum on their side. Yeah. But now uh, looking at President Trump, I mean, he's he's done a great job. He has fulfilled many of the promises that he's made to his constituents. And so, I mean, anybody who would try to accuse him of being anything less than what he promised to yeah. be, they're going to have a tough go of that. You know, and I think the real race to watch next year is not necessarily even the presidential election. It's whether or not the Republicans can retake the House. Because, you know, for many years under President Obama, when Republicans had control of the House, it was always, we're going to repeal Obamacare. And the House um, under President Obama repealed Obamacare somewhere in the neighborhood of like 50 times. And then when Republicans had control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, all of a sudden they can't get it together and repeal and replace Obamacare. So I want to, I'm expecting, I'm interested to see what Republicans are going to say, hey, you need to vote us in so we can retake this House because you've promised us all these things in the past. And when you had that opportunity, you didn't really do anything beyond the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which even some Republicans would say did not go far enough to help individuals with their taxes. You know, I want to say one last thing. It's also going to be interesting to watch all of the knockdown drag out fights yes. of the Democrats as no they fight barred. for their party's <laughs> nomination. Um, that's going to be interesting to watch. So people can just all over the country grab their buckets of popcorn and get ready to keep an eye out on that. Hey, Chris, thank you so much thank for you. jumping in and taking us over to onenewsnow.com. Onenewsnow.com. You can go there daily and get news and information uh, through a biblical lens. Uh, all right, that's it for this hour. We'll be back with with hour two, Stacy on the right, American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Don't go anywhere.